Hi everyone, in this episode of Because Money, we wanted to talk a bit about healthcare and medical costs and how we go about treating sick people. We thought the best place to start the episode was in the midst of a conversation Sandy and I were uh, having about my dad's experience as a cancer patient. So here we go. So that's a really, so okay, so you as a scientist saying, you, I mean, you, obviously you're not falling for, you know, stem cell research in the Amazonian jungle that's burnt down yeah. anyway. Um, but when, like, so can you, like, do you mean, you know, when the doctor comes in and says, well, you know, the evidence says, that, you know, there's a vanishing chance that this might work. Are you saying that your response is like, yes, vanishing chance. Here I am. Sign, sign us up. Well, I mean, it's, it's one of the, one of the pressures and actually that's like a real, um, very front of mind thing for my dad. Um, because like, uh, being mortal is something that he has read and really loves. And he's bought like dozens of copies in bulk to hand out to other people. And this was before he got really sick or at least this time. Um, and, and it talks all about like how quality of life matters and how like fighting cancer at any cost isn't always the best thing for the patient because like chemotherapy and radiation therapy take their toll and how sometimes it's better to like live a few really good months than stretch it out to a year and a half of misery. Yeah. Just because of that like faint hope thing. So he's like all over that and, and always, and that's, that was a big factor in him choosing to stop chemotherapy last summer. Right. Um, but then also I'm like, okay, well, you know, we're talking about all these clinical trials for immunotherapy. Can we sign him up for an immunotherapy clinical trial? And his doctor's like, well, I don't know about that. And I'm like, come on, <laughs> I've worked on like two or three grants related to immunotherapy. I know there's clinical trials happening. Yeah. Oh, that must be so hard. I mean, and hard for everyone, not just for you, but you uh, in particular have that, just as you said, like, I know what's, I, I, I have a passing familiarity with the terminology and the, the kind of research landscape and the, oh, that must be really difficult. Yeah. Uh, and it's also tough between like everyone in the family, because not everyone is always on the same page with that too. Right. Cause like, I know my dad has read being mortal. We've had that conversation about quality of life versus like fighting cancer at all costs, but he hasn't had that conversation with everyone in the family. And so there are people who try to pressure us to like, just do it, just, just do it. And then maybe you'll get better. It's like, whatever the percentage is, 9% of patients who aggressively treated at this stage still managed to beat it back. It's like, yeah. No. Uh. Yeah, so that, that's uh, you know, not a fun conversation. Um, I'm not sure if we'll be able to use a ton of this on the podcast, but it also sort of speaks to other aspects of things like financial planning where it's like, yeah, individual preferences really do come into play. Are you, you know, going to be really high equity in the hopes that it'll 
bail out your uh, retirement plan in time, or are you going to be more conservatively invested and and just uh, take the spending cut? Yeah. Well, and again, I mean, this is across the spectrum of emotional intensity, but the desire for, I can kind of see the parallel between the desire for certainty and, um, and, and the discomfort with uncertainty. So you can kind of see that with like, well, maybe you'll be one of the 9%. I'm comfortable with that. And the kind of the thing that holds those two intention is that also the, yeah, but it kind of in, in investing, we say, well, can you sleep at night? Or in financial planning, you say, well, you know, yes, you could bear the uncertain. You want, you're okay with the uncertainty, but actually from a stress perspective, you clearly are not like intellectually you want to, but no, you can't. I'm not saying this very well, but, so, but in, as you were saying that, I thought, yes. And then quality of life, you can kind of equate in some ways to peace of mind. Like, no, I, I, I understand what you're saying, that there, there is this chance, but my, my quality of life is something that I have to make the call on. Right. That's anyway, Sandy draws awkward parallels version. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, that's, that's the cost of it. That is the cost of it. (sighs) Yeah. And the cost, and I think too, the cost of other people, not other people meaning well and loving the person um, who's ill, but not, not being fully in on the conversation or at least not yet. And so feeling as though then there's this extra tension of not only do we have the tension of making this decision, um, we have the tension of trying to defend it somehow or feeling the need to defend it for people who haven't had all the same inputs that we've had. Yeah. Um, and then just sort of randomly popped into my mind and not really related to finances at all, but also just like we hear a lot about how important it is for the practitioners of medicine to have good bedside manners, the doctors, the nurses, um, and I'm seeing that too, like how much my dad responds to how people treat him mm. um, is like almost more important than the actual treatment that they're delivering. But the, the sort of amazing thing is like how much he can be turned off by how even people who are not practitioners of medicine, how much their bedside manner matters. Like if the administrator who greets him as he signs into the clinic is nasty and um, rushed and doesn't have time for him, it just puts him in a bad mood right away. And it's hard for then the doctor to reach him when he's already like closed off. Cause he's like, you know, he's not, <laughs> he's not a fully, uh, how do I put this gently, but oh, essentially he's, he's not a fully capable rested resourced person he's on the edge of despondency is a little extreme and exaggerating but he's essentially on the edge edge of despondency all the time and it doesn't take that much to push him over and so it was just amazing to see that like we talk so much about in healthcare we talk so much about the importance of like practitioner bedside manner i'm not sure i've ever seen a white paper on how important it is for the everyone else in the healthcare organization have good bedside manner. Like our old CEO really talked about this in an informal way about how like everyone at the hospital has to 
you know, really help make the patients feel at home, help out. If someone's like wandering around looking lost, they're probably lost because the hospital is a massively confusing place for visitors and it's just an architectural nightmare mm -hmm. and wayfinding has never been solved in hospitals. And so it's like, just always, like it doesn't matter what your role is. It doesn't matter if you're in research or in healthcare or if you're like a janitor or whatever. Like if you see someone lost, like just ask them hey, can I help you? And like, that just makes their day. Yeah. And then our, I'm not sure I've really heard that same sort of messaging from our new CEO, but <laughs> anyway. But that's so, and I know that you opened kind of, you went on to this thought by saying like, it's not really necessarily directly related to finance, but it is in the sense that finance is a human endeavor. Like it's humans doing it and humans talking to other humans. And I think this is one of those things yeah. that I kind of get all, antsy about because of course even the people the people behind the desk are humans too and maybe they had a really bad day and yes. so yeah. so extending understanding to them but at the same time realizing that if I am answering the phone or if my job sorry if my job kind of within the the structure of whatever the organization is if my job isn't necessarily to do the thing that the organization is designed to do so you know, the practitioner in a, in a medical setting, that's the person who's doing the thing, but the technicians and the administrators, the building maintenance people, like all the payroll people, all of those people are there ultimately to create the practitioner time with the client or with the, not client, with the, with the patient. Yeah. And so the idea that those, those tasks operate independently of human contact rules, are I still I mean I so I my, my very first job was McDonald's which did a lot for me I was not a good employee like I don't want to say that I came out of there like yes but but that those first four years of just feeling like nothing and knowing that I have the choice to respond to this person who's treating me like nothing in a way that makes them feel like nothing and then I'll get in trouble or <laughs> Or like, it's, it's so easy to treat somebody with a little bit of just extra human empathy. Um, even though sometimes it's hard cause you had a bad day, but like those, that is those small pieces of human interaction are what makes everything better. I that's, I'm overstating it and I'm not really kind of articulating what I mean to say, but I just don't understand how that is not for almost any organization, but in particular one where somebody's physical health, which is so tied up with their mental health and so tied up just with your emotional health during the day, isn't priority one to speak to every one of those people as though they are being cared for in that instance by whoever it is that the job is happening with. Uh, anyways. No, but uh, what you're just saying there a second uh, earlier in your point about how not everyone in the organization is necessarily aligned with the organization's mission and how the organization's mission may not be aligned with the client's mission, but mm -hmm. they're trying to both get something out of it. Like that really, you know, reminds me of your point about sometimes in, in finances and financial planning and wealth management, we don't see the client as the client, but the money as the mm -hmm. client, or not the person as the client, the money as the client. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, that can really come into play, especially when we're talking about like maybe at the bank branch level where 
the person behind the desk's job is to sell mutual funds, to get people to take on home equity line of credits, to open new checking accounts, to open new credit cards. And the person coming to them is trying to run their small business or manage their family finances. And they're just hoping that there's some sort of crossover overlap in what they're both doing. Yeah. Um, but it can often just be, you know, completely accidental or not very good alignment. And then, and then that just happens. Um, and then, you know, if we burn it all down, what are we going to build in its place? That's, more purposeful so i mean advice only planning seems to fit that a lot better i mean it's always hard to pay someone by the hour and and when you're like in the most need for financial Mm -hmm. planning to say okay now i need to open my checkbook and really get the planning that i need but on the other hand then you're working with someone who is much more aligned to what you're trying to do now the whole organization's purpose is to help solve your financial planning needs. Yeah, your specific issue, not a specific issue that has to do with like, well, everybody wants lower taxes. So, okay, well, but in your case, yeah, no. And that, well, see, and then I started thinking about, okay, so people prepare, if we want to go back to the kind of the health analogy, but for financial planning, people prepare Nope, it's gone. Never mind. Don't even do that, Sandy. <laughs> it made you saying writing a check like in need, and then you have to open up your checkbook. I was like, yes, for ostomy bags. Yeah. And then I went back to healthcare. Well, I mean, we can we can talk about that. So that that was, um, dear listeners, originally one of the notes that would kick this conversation off, and then we just sort of saw where it went. But um, one thing that we were thinking of talking about was the unexpected costs of healthcare. So we live. In Canada, if you are listening to this from outside of Canada, um, that, that's where the perspective that we're talking from. And in Canada, we have Medicare. Uh, so we have a, it's run by each of the individual provinces, but each province pays for necessary care for their population. If you need to go to the emergency room, you don't necessarily get a bill for fixing your broken arm or having someone check out your heart rhythm or you know, put your head in a CT scan to see if you're having a stroke. Like these things are paid for by the provinces, but that doesn't mean that healthcare is free. And I don't just mean because we pay for it out of our taxes. Mm -hmm. Um, There are a lot of other costs that aren't covered by the government that can be a risk to individual people's finances. So one example is an ostomy bag. So if you're not familiar with what this procedure is, uh, if something happens down in your digestive tract, particularly in your colon, and stuff isn't moving through like it's supposed to anymore. You got a big blockage that can cause a lot of issues. Uh, if you have cancer there, if you have an ulcer there, uh, some other various issues that can make it so that your body no longer pushes all the food and waste all the way through to the end, you need to create a new end and bypass that problem. So, what they'll do is they'll go in and uh, uh, if you don't want the gory details, fast forward about 30 seconds. Uh, they'll go in and they will disconnect the part that has the problem. Um, of, you know, If you view the intestines as a big tube, they'll disconnect the part that has the problem and they'll take the part that works as far up as they can go and they'll just join it to an opening that they create in your stomach. So basically now all of your waste just comes out this little port, out this little hole, 
in your abdomen somewhere. So now instead of essentially pooping out of your anal hole that was given to you by birth that you made yourself in the womb, uh, you are now have a secondary uh, anal hole. Um, it's not actually your anus anymore. Now it's an ostomy. And this comes out, all the waste comes out of that port. And you don't have the muscles there anymore to hold it in until you get to the washroom to then release it all at once. It just comes out because now you don't have that final part of the intestinal tract, the rectum. And so you don't want this coming out all the time and ruining your clothes. So in order to control it a little better, what they do is they put on a bag on the outside and then the bag fills with the waste and then you can go to the washroom and dump it. And that's how people who have ostomies deal with it. Those bags are not covered by medical care. And because it's a very special adhesive that has to stick to the skin, uh, it's a seal, it's a medical device that has to be tested and approved, um, these things are expensive. Uh, they run, you know, very ballpark figure, about $100 for a set of five bags and about $100 for a set of five flanges, which is the part that actually sticks to the skin and connects the bag through a little... Um, rubber o-ring gasket connector so these bags will last you after you get everything settled down um, usually about three to four days um, and then you got to be changing them so you're talking hundreds of dollars a month to just deal with this forever as long as you have this ostomy like sometimes they can go back in and reconnect it after whatever problem in the colon was cleared uh, sometimes you will have that ostomy bag for life and need to keep buying new bags out of pocket and that's just one example of the many many costs that come up and of course it's even worse when you first get it because the thing hasn't settled down yet you don't know what you're doing with the application you're making mistakes and you're ruining bags in like half a day or a day so instead of each bag lasting for you know a day or two or three or four you're going through two or three bags a day. You were oh. just burning through money that those first couple of weeks while you're figuring all this out. And of course, all the bags fit differently. So there's a whole bunch of different sizes and styles to fit your skin, your particular kind of ostomy. You know, is it convex? Is it concave? Is it an innie? Is it an outie? Like, oh. what if you got left there and you have to figure this out and try a bunch of different products? And, and uh, this can get quite expensive for people. And so stressful. Oh my goodness. And it's not like, and again, it's not like one of those things. I mean, we're not talking about, I was going to try and come up with some medical expense that like, wow, well, I don't actually need to pay. I cannot pay for that. And I'm okay. Um, and I'm sure there's many of them that we've all done it. Like I've not paid for things because I just couldn't afford it, but you can't not have an ostomy bag. Like, it's just not a thing you can say like, well, I guess I just won't buy any, which yeah. is, awful. I cannot think of something more just stress and shame filled than like, I have to buy this. There is no way that I can't buy it for myself. I have to have it. And also I cannot afford this. Yeah. And, and that's just one example. I mean, um, some people have drug plans through work. Uh, but if you don't, any medicines that you need, you have to pay for yourself until you become old enough to benefit from your provincial drug plan for seniors, if your province has one. So I know Ontario does, because I live here, and I, I know a little bit about that one, but I'm not sure that all provinces do. Yeah. 
I am also not sure. Maybe we could look that up sometime. Yeah. I know that um, I was talking to um, one of the people I work with at Spring, my colleague, Karen Richardson, just before this call, and I was trying to convince her to come on. John and I were both like, well, she, because she was saying, I said, I'm going to record this episode with John. And she had some things to say about the cost of extra health care, like not covered by the province. And then I tried to convince her to come on. She was like, no way, <laughs> never. But then she gave me some really like good information, which this, I mean, none of this is news to you, John, about there being a grant for ostomy bags. But so those in particular, but as far as I know, that's not something that it wouldn't like it's a thousand dollars or something like it wouldn't cover the entire cost. And do you ha it happens afterwards, right? Like it's not like you suddenly have a thousand dollars to spend on ostomy bags. Yeah. Right. So there's and, and it's one of those things that I think like, how would anybody know that that's a thing and where to access it in the middle of like learning how to again to keep using the same example, but I mean, I know somebody that woke up, had no idea that this was going to happen, woke up with an ostomy bag, didn't have time to prepare, didn't have, you know what I mean? Like there was no, so like, do you think the first thing that he did was go, oh, I wonder if there's a grant for these? Like, of course not. Yeah, no, you're, you're dealing with so much. You're in such mental overload. Mm. And, and to, on top of that, you're exhausted from the surgery. You're probably exhausted because your digestive tract is all out of whack and you're not getting quite the nutrients you wanted before things are racing through or whatever. Yeah. And you were probably not in great shape for the weeks leading up to whatever surgery dictated that you needed the ostomy in the first place. So you probably weren't starting off like, Oh, I just went into surgery perfectly fine. And then like you were probably in rotten shape before that. Right. That's right. Actually the good news, my friend woke up from that surgery saying like, I didn't know that there was something wrong with me. And even though, the results of that surgery weren't good from a like long-term prognosis. The fact that, th that they had done this ostomy meant I felt better after that surgery, even with that kind of not great prognosis than I had in like the months and even years before the surgery. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, like I tried a silver lining that Sandy, nice job. Well done. <laughs> so, so we don't have, I don't have, John, do you have? I don't know. I don't have um, uh, extended health coverage. I, it's a dream in life. Like I keep um, lurking on the Green Shield Canada website. I have to look up costs for clients who are going to retire from a company that had a plan, but that doesn't offer that plan to retirees. So often I'm looking at, you know, private extended health coverage for clients. And one of the things we always tell them is, well, what I want you to do is go back to your if you if you were the kind of person who used your plan frequently and not a lazy person like I was when I used to have a plan and didn't use anything even though it was paid for, um, but if you were the kind of person that used it, I want you to go back and take a look at some of the claims you've made in the past little while because we want to see what first. I mean, first we want to see what are the things that you'll miss almost right away when they're gone, like prescriptions or if you end up getting new glasses every year just because or instead of waiting eight years like lazy people do, Sandy. Um, just full of examples about myself. Um, but we tell people like, okay, just take, just do a brief survey of the things you actually use. And then let's also on top of that, think about, okay, what are the things that would like ostomy bags? We don't necessarily go into that kind of detail, but what are the things that we need to make sure that you have that maybe are not covered by even the, the kind of seniors coverage here in Ontario or they're in other provinces where there's none of that. Um, that's sort of where I end up lurking a lot for clients. And then as I'm there, I think, wouldn't it be nice? Imagine being able to send my kids to the dentist without like having to save up for it first. Wow. 
(laughs) (laughs) But I don't have a plan like that. I would love, I would love to have extended healthcare, but I don't. So. Yeah. So, I mean, I do have extended healthcare through my day job, um, which has worked out really well for us because of all the sickness and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So like when Wayfair was in the hospital that paid for the hospital room. Um, I'm not sure she was asking for a private or semi-private room, but she ended up with one. I I think at some point we requested that if it was possible because the insurance would pay for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if not, like she would have been in, in a, like it was already pretty crowded in the semi-private room, but otherwise she would have been in a ward with, I think four people. Um, and that would not have helped with recovery or rest or anything like that. Um, and it's thousands of dollars for that stay that got covered by care. And then she needed physio and medicines. And it, I mean, that year that she got sick, it, it was a lot of money that yeah. that um, that plan paid out for. Um, I've got a bad set of teeth. So one year um, I needed, I can't remember if it was a filling or a crown and a root canal in the <gasps> same year. And I actually maxed out my dental coverage and had to pay a few hundred dollars out of pocket. But if I didn't have the coverage, that would have been a few thousand dollars out of pocket. Oh, man. And you live, I mean, not dental care, I think, is something that, I mean, even our our smaller towns have some dental care within reach. But, I mean, a cancer diagnosis or when I... Um, I had a spontaneous retinal detachment about nine years ago, and I had to go to Mississauga from Gravenhurst, which is not, I mean, it's not the end of the world. It's not like people having to be flown in from remote communities or needing to be flown in and not being flown in because I burn the world down. Um, But so I had to, I mean, it was immediate. It was like, you will be blind if you don't do these things. So of course, and I have a baby at home. I don't think I had Lucy yet. So I have a I have a, a kid in kid in preschool. I've got a baby at home, and now and Seth had a job, and we had and my, both my parents work, so we have to drive to Mississauga, and it was like uh, three or four times a week before the surgery, like go for consultation, go for prep, go for surgery, go the day after surgery, like there was a bunch, and it ended up being more expensive. It, it, it would have been more expensive just to stay in the city, so of course we drove a bunch of times, but there's a lot of travel involved if you don't happen to need acute medical care um, in the city. If you're mm-hmm. outside of the city now suddenly, and it's not like, I mean, and there are some, there obviously there's, you know, um, categories of um, medical expense deductions and, and credits, but that's after the fact. Like if you have $0 in your bank account and you have to get to Toronto and you have to pay for childcare and, 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 you do it because you have to. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't it's not like you're going to heal better because you're, you know, feeling so great about all the rest of your life (laughs) at the time. Like, oh, I'm going to go bankrupt from just having to drive to Toronto, get my eyeball replaced. (laughs) That's not the technical name for the surgery that I got. (laughs) Yeah. And and these are all very unexpected, pretty high impact costs. Um, But I mean, (laughs) at least you don't have to pay for the hospital and the other parts of it too. Like, you know, as a Canadian watching all of the drama unfold in the U S over socialized medicine, I I just don't understand it. Like I don't understand how they let people go bankrupt at such an incredible rate for medical costs. Yeah. Well, 
That's right. So we're in the firmly entrenched in the category. It could be worse, but it could be better. And it could yeah. be worse for many of us. There are people in Canada for whom it is already worse. Yeah. So, yeah. So it, as Canadians, we look down, uh, you know, sort of collectively at the situation in the state and say, well, at least I have socialized medicine. And I guess sort of the point of this whole episode is to say that, yeah, we do, but that doesn't mean everything is covered. You still need an emergency fund. You you would still be surprised sometimes at how much it can cost to cover the parts that aren't covered by the provincial plans. Yeah. Well, and then right back down to it. Um, I, and again, I don't want to, I don't want to say that like, well, we definitely need national pharmacare and I don't care how it's set up or what the, what the policy is, or if it actually, you know, um, costs people more money than it does. I don't like, it's not, it's not really a matter of, um, is the program as currently proposed the exact right program? That's not what I mean. What I mean is if we have the resources to make it so that people in our country don't have to, um, pay for essential needs for their own health and well-being they don't have to choose between driving to a place to get necessary care or staying home to take care of their kids or whatever it is like if we can make that happen can't we make that happen can't we make it so that people can afford to pay for their their cancer drug that costs thousands of dollars and they don't know if it's going to be like you were telling a story earlier that like you didn't know you don't know until you get there whether it's going to be money out of your pocket or money that's covered from some other plan yeah that's yeah that that was uh, another example from my dad's care is that uh, there was this one medication that was prescribed the first dose we picked up was like 2400 or something like two thousand four hundred dollars or so for one dose of this medication like and that was we didn't know until we dropped it off we didn't even ask when we dropped it off how much it would be um and then you know pick go to pick it up and it's like okay that'll be twenty four hundred dollars it's like okay that was expensive and then the second dose was free don't know why don't know if the formulary changed in between needing doses of that at the uh, ontario drug benefit program for seniors don't know if the doctors prescribed it under some different code regimen that then meant that it was covered by that program. Don't know if there was just a deductible of 2,400 that we had to pay and then everything after that was covered. Um, so even like after you know you have a disease, it's hard to predict the costs of what that's going to end up being. Yeah. And so if we, so one thing, one thing I would definitely say, so if we want, if we at all want to have any kind of, Solution is too strong a word, but even ideas about, okay, we know that there will be costs. We know that many of us will have some kind of extra medical need. Well, actually medical need, but not paid for by the medical system in Canada or the provinces. Then first we would say like, well, look, if you can't, if, if that would be a catastrophe, it's the same insurance equation that we use for everything else. If it would be a catastrophe to pay for ostomy bags, then and and obviously some people can't afford insurance many people cannot afford their own extended health insurance and i'm not saying that that's like oh definitely go out and buy that but if if it's something that would be a catastrophe and you can afford the smaller premium of just paying an insurance then buy insurance if you can get covered um and if you don't and you can't then you need an emergency fund and in fact you may need so the old like three months off of work 
like three months of expenses kind of chestnut might not be if you if you really are if you are not covered by an extended health care plan maybe you need a bigger emergency fund then we it's not just job loss right it's other stuff yeah. you have to pay for yeah and then the last thing is i remember that episode we did chris was talking about somebody that was just like i just have to make it through um, I can't, I, I cannot remember what episode it was, but he was, someone had come up to him after a workshop and told him that, you know, I've just had this diagnosis and I'm just, I'm just using my line of credit, my credit cards. There's nothing else I can do. And to me, that was the idea of permission to, it's awful and stressful, but like, okay, I guess I can't advance my financial goals right now. I guess I can't have a squeaky clean financial health grade right now i'm going to deal with this other stuff and i'm going to let the money stuff slide as much as possible because i just cannot possibly optimize that while yeah. i'm living in this situation i thought that was a really good i thought he was talking about some really good things in that episode yeah i know it's, it's sometimes you just you hit your limits as to how much stuff you can deal with <laughs> and as much as we want to talk about how important it is to stay on top of your money stuff, I mean, sometimes it's really tough. And um, I mean, in those situations, it's just you're at your limits in a lot of different ways. And so there's not much to do there. But even in others where it's like the money stuff is still going relatively well, but you don't have time to pay attention to it. I mean, this is part of where we get into talking about like automation really helps. Like if you just automate the stuff coming off your paycheck, automate those bill payments, automate your investing as much as you can, then you save that mental bandwidth for the stuff that you really need it for. And then sometimes you need the permission to just like, let go of things to free up that mental bandwidth again when you need it for um, what might come up and what might be really important. Yeah. Man, I just hate, I hate that you're going through all this with your dad, especially on the heels of having gone through very recently another big health scare. I don't like it. John, I don't like it. If I could rebuild the world, this wouldn't be happening. <laughs> My application to rebuild the world hasn't come through yet, but when it does, I am going to reticulate those splines. That's yeah. going Thanks for listening. Uh, I'm John Robertson. I'm the author of The Value of Simple and also the creator of the Practical Index Investing for Canadians course. So if you want to learn how to become a do-it-yourself investor, that's the sort of thing I help with. And I'm Sandy Martin. I'm an advice-only financial planner at springplans.ca. And I tend to work with older single ladies and people who are retiring. That's really, that's really my thing. And you can find me on Twitter a lot.